I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to 2 Samuel, chapter 19. 2 Samuel, chapter 19, as we look together at verses 24 to 43. In this portion, we see that King David is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's been exiled to the wilderness all because of a rebellion led by his son Absalom. And God has provided for David even in the wilderness. And God is bringing David back to Jerusalem, safe and sound. But we saw last week that David doesn't just barge his way in. He doesn't ride in like a conquering hero. Instead, he waits for an invitation modeling for us how King Jesus waits to be invited into our hearts. He will not force his way in. We must invite him. And now, as David continues to make his way to Jerusalem, we find a mixture of people. A mixture of people. Some people are ready for the king's return. They are glad and joyful in this day. While others thought they were ready, but proved themselves to be very much unready. They're not ready for the king to come back. And the question for you and for me today is this. Are you ready for David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to return to this world or not? Are you preparing your life in any way? We prepare for all kinds of other things in life. We prepare for retirement. We prepare for college. We prepare for any obstacles that may face us. We save up. We're ready in case a hardship comes our way. But are you ready for the return of the Lord Jesus? Or do you think maybe you can put that off? So many people don't even think it's going to happen. He didn't come back in the first century, so he's certainly not coming back now. Are you ready? I want you to know today that there is nothing more important, nothing more vital in your life than preparing for the return of King Jesus. And I want to give you a test of whether or not you're ready. Ask yourself this question. To test your readiness. Am I willing to lose everything in this world and in this life in order to gain Christ in the world to come? Am I willing to forfeit, to lose, to let go of everything, everything in this world in order to gain Christ in the world to come when he returns as the judge of everyone, the judge of this universe, to set the world to rights, to finish what he began when he came the first time. So are you ready or not? If you're ready, then you can say to this world, this world that has fallen, 
that is deeply infected by sin, you can say, have it all. Have it all. Because I have found more than all in Christ Jesus. Consider those words of Charles Wesley. Thou, O Christ, art all I want. More than all in Thee I find. More than all. More than all this world can give you. And this world can give you a lot. This is God's world. He created it. He governs it. It all brings Him glory and honor. It can give you a lot. But can you say, in view of all that, all the good things of life, more than all that, I have found in Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. Can you say that today? There is nothing more vital, nothing more pressing, nothing more significant for you in this very moment. And there is nothing more urgent, by the way, for me to tell you today that you need to be ready. And so we turn to our scripture to encounter these individuals. Some are ready, some aren't. And we start with Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Let's read together beginning at verse 24. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it, so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him take everything now that my lord the king has returned home safely. Pausing there. So who is Mephibosheth? Other than someone who has a name that's pretty hard to say. Mephibosheth is the grandson of the prior king, King Saul. And he's the son of David's best friend, Jonathan. And when you go back to 2 Samuel 9, you see that after David is securely on the throne, he has nothing to fear from Saul or Saul's household anymore. He says, is there anyone left from Saul's household to whom I can show kindness? And this is striking, striking behavior for any ancient Near Eastern king. Instead of wanting to wipe out the prior dynasty, he actually wants to exalt those who remain from the prior dynasty. And he finds out that this grandson, Mephibosheth, is still alive, 
And David gives him a place in his household, and he makes this man Ziba, his servant, to take care of the, the land. And we're told that Mephibosheth was disabled, having been dropped as a child. And David exalts him. But then later, when you get to 2 Samuel 16, we're told that as David is making his way out of Jerusalem, with his tail between his legs, having been forced out by his son Absalom, this man Ziba, the servant, comes up to David and he says, David, sorry to tell you, but Mephibosheth, he's actually glad that you're leaving Jerusalem because he thinks that now Saul's household is going to be vindicated. Sorry to tell you that, but David, I'm on your team. Here, here are some provisions for you and your men. Mephibosheth is slandered. So all that background needs to be understood to see what's going on in these verses. Now, as David encounters Mephibosheth, David asks him straight up, Mephibosheth, where were you at? When I was in retreat, when I was headed to the wilderness, where were you? Why didn't you go with me? And then the truth comes out. And the truth is vindicated by Mephibosheth's disheveled appearance. He hadn't taken care of his feet. He hadn't trimmed his nails. He hadn't trimmed his mustache. His clothes haven't been changed. Can you imagine how he reeks? He's been grieving. He's been mourning. He can't make this up. He was not happy about David's retreat. And what we need to see in Mephibosheth, and what we need to ask ourselves, to test whether or not we are ready for the return of God's ultimate king, King Jesus, is this. Is the king's mercy, is his kindness, worth more to you than fairness? Is the king's mercy worth more to you than fairness? We are all, every single one of us, prone to worship at the altar of fairness. We want life to be fair. We want this to be a free country, right? And when anything is not fair, we are outraged. We say, why did that person get it and I didn't? Why am I burdened with this and that person isn't? And just consider how unfair life appears to be for Mephibosheth. He's disabled. He's dropped as a child. He can't do anything to help that. He's disabled. Then, to compound the insult, now his own servant betrays him and slanders him to the king. Ziba says, oh, that Mephibosheth, he was on Saul's team all along. Can't trust him, David. He's slandered. And now he's robbed. How so? Well, David, having heard the case for each, says, okay, why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the land. Now, that's either because David just doesn't want to bother with it anymore, or he thinks, well, I should probably reward Ziba because he did come to my aid. He, does, he did supply provisions for me during my exile and my retreat, so maybe I need to honor him in some way. Divide the land. 
Divide the land. You guys work it out, split it up. Mephibosheth didn't have that coming. He's robbed. Half of what was his and rightfully his by order and decree of the king is now taken from him. Oh, the unfairness. And yet, what does Mephibosheth say in verse 30? Let him take everything. Have it all. What? How can, how can he say this? Have it all? In the midst of all this unfairness and how life has treated him, he says, let Ziba have everything? Oh, yes. Let him take everything now that my Lord, the king, has returned home safely. He prizes the king and the king's mercy above getting what is his. He can say to the world, have it all. I don't need it. Why? Because in God's king, I have more than all. Can you say that today with Mephibosheth? Let him have it. I don't need it. I'm rich in the king's mercy. Now, how does he reason to that point? We go back to verse 28. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing but death from my lord, the king, but you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. Now, how can he say that? I mean, Mephibosheth wasn't conspiring with Saul. He wasn't a part of trying to kill David. And yet, he says, what I deserved was death. How can he say that? He can say it for the same reason that today, you and I must come face to face with what we truly deserve from our Creator. And what we truly deserve from our Creator is death for high treason against the king. Death for high treason. Whether you have outwardly conspired with someone like Saul or with Absalom, inside your heart and inside my heart, the same ingredients that led Absalom to usurp the throne, the same ingredients that led Saul to be jealous of David, they're in you and they're in me. But oh, we don't think we're that bad. And this, by and large, explains so much of the church's weakness in our nation. We don't really believe in God's mercy because we don't really believe we're sinners. Oh, sure, we're not perfect, no one's perfect but that we are in sin, we are in bondage to a power, that we are subject to the whims of the enemy, the evil one. Oh, we don't, we don't really believe that. That's all mythology, right? But when you look at when the church has been most powerful, you see conviction of sin. Just look at Acts. Look at Pentecost. Acts 2. Peter proclaims to everyone, we are all guilty of crucifying the Son of God. And what's the response? I'm sorry? No. They were cut to the heart, we're told. 
cut to the heart and they say, what should we do, brothers? What do we do? How can we be saved? We're guilty. We've got blood on our hands. What does he tell them? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's God's mercy. And it is not until we are truly convicted of our sins that we're ready to see the generosity of God's mercy, what we deserve versus what He's given us. And until we see that, we're always going to think we deserve more from life and more from God. All of us. But I'm afraid so often people in churches think that they're a Christian. They've been saved because they checked a box on a decision card. Because they raised their hand when the preacher said, every head bowed, every eye closed. Because they got dunked in some water. Because they did what they were told to do. And there's been no brokenness. There's been no conviction of sin. Their hearts have not been cut and wounded to say, oh, how I have sinned against my Creator. I've committed treason. I have spurned His love. And yet, look what He's done for me. He sent His own Son to shed His blood for me. And not only that, He's given me a place at His table. I don't deserve this. It's that that enables Mephibosheth to say, Ziba can have it. (laughs) Let him have the land. Let him have the wealth. Let him have the possessions. I have more than all. And God's king. And now that God's king is safely on the throne, I'm fully satisfied. He's more than enough. Do you believe in the all-sufficiency of Christ Jesus? Or not? Can you say have it all? Let's look at the next individual we meet. Verse 31. Barzillai, the Gileadite, also came down from Rogalim to cross the Jordan with the king and to send him on his way from there. Now, Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He had provided for the king during his stay in Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem, and I will provide for you. But Barzillai answered the king, How many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the king for a short distance, but why should the king reward me in this way? Let your servant return that I may die in my own town near the tomb of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him whatever you wish. And anything you desire from me, I will do for you. So all the people crossed the Jordan, and then the king crossed over. The king kissed Barzillai and bid him farewell. 
and Barzillai returned to his home. So who is Barzillai? He's an individual living across the Jordan River who provided for King David out of the abundance of his wealth. And now David wants to reward him and says, why don't you come with me back to Jerusalem? And Barzillai says, no, no, I'm 80 years old. How much longer do I have? And I hope that you are in better shape at 80 years old than than he is. But let's face it, at some point, all of these afflictions await us, right? At some point, our sensory abilities will fail us. He says, I can barely taste anymore. I can barely hear anymore. I can't even hear the voices of male and female singers. One day your memory will fail you. One day your mind will be feeble if it isn't already. And you will be keenly aware. Your body will fail you. All these things that we look to for prosperity, they will fail you. The clock is ticking right now. My hair is getting grayer and grayer. (laughs) All of us. All of us. And so the question for us is, if you're prepared, if you're ready for the return of King Jesus, can you say that the king's promise is worth more to you than prosperity? Is the king's promise worth more to you than your prosperity. Because just as we worship at the altar altar of fairness, we also worship at the altar of prosperity. When times are good, when we're healthy, our family is healthy, our loved ones are healthy. We're young, we don't have a care in this world. Do you realize those days will pass in an instant? It'll be over before you know it. Our lives are short and uncertain if you even make it to 80 years of age. But what is the king's promise? Look at verse 33. I will provide for you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. And when your body fails you, when your mind fails you, when you know that your own demise is imminent, you can't count on prosperity, can you? But you can count on his promise, I will take care of you. Whether we live or whether we die, we are his. He will take care of his own. You can rest in that. You can lean on that. Don't lean on prosperity in this world. It will fail you. I promise you, it will fail you. But this God will never lie. He will provide. He will take care of you. Trust Him. Trust Him. And the more you are trusting in His promises, even when you don't see the fulfillment of it, even when you wonder if you'll see the fulfillment, then you are ready for the return of King Jesus. 
when he comes to this world and he looks to find faith on this earth. How much do you value his promises? But notice that Barzillai doesn't just say, no, 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 I'm too old, you go ahead. What does he do? End of verse 37. But here is your servant, Kimham. Possibly this is a younger servant. Possibly this is his own kin, maybe his own son. He says, take Kimham with you. Provide for him. I have seen enough already, David, but I want you to take the next generation with you. This has major import, let me tell you. Major import for how we function in the church right now. If the Lord doesn't return before my time to retire ends, somebody else will fill this pulpit. If the Lord doesn't return before you die or move, someone else will be sitting in that pew one day. Are you looking to the next generation? Do you realize that we're all in transition? This is not permanent. We don't own those pews. I don't own this pulpit. This is our time. But another generation is coming. And I pray that if the Lord gives me 80 years of life, that I have the same humility and the same courage to say, I've seen enough. Take Kim Ham with you. He needs this. I've seen enough of the promised land. I've, I've experienced more than all in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take the next generation. Are we looking to the next generation? Or are we saying, no, 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 no. I... I'm the master of this house. I'm the one who provided for King David in the wilderness. I've been a member of this church for 50 years. I should get my way. Oh no. I'm afraid if that's our attitude, we don't see the all-sufficiency of Christ. We don't really believe that he's more than all. We're still wanting more. More and more. No, I want prosperity. I want to be comfortable. I want to be happy. Be careful. By God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart today, may God humble you to say, Kim Ham needs a witness. Kim Ham needs to know who the King is. He needs to know God's promises. I've tasted enough. You think of old Simeon that we read about around Christmas time. And he holds baby Jesus. That's it. He's holding a baby. I mean, what can this baby do? And yet he says, Lord, you can take me now. I've seen enough. I've seen enough. I trust in your promises. Even when I don't see the full fulfillment of them, I've seen enough. Have you seen enough? If you have, you're ready. Praise God. May you see the all-sufficiency of God's King. Mephibosheth, 
Barzillai, they're ready. But not everyone is. Let's read together at verse 40. When the king crossed over to Gilgal, Kimham crossed with him. All the troops of Judah and half the troops of Israel had taken the king over. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him and his household across the Jordan, together with all his men? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, We did this because the king is closely related to us. Why are you angry about this? Have we eaten any of the king's provisions? Have we taken anything for ourselves? Then the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, so we have a greater claim on David than you have. Why then do you treat us with contempt? Weren't we the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the men of Judah pressed their claims even more forcefully than the men of Israel. Isn't this the way life is? <laughs> How it can be in the church even? The king's coming back. God's chosen king is on his way back to his throne in Jerusalem. All should be well. And what happens? Some of the same people that were just fighting against the king are now fighting over the king. No, he's ours. No, 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 he's mine. You've got the people of Israel saying, wait, you people from Judah, the southern tribes, why'd you steal the king away? What, what makes you think you're so special that you can be the ones to usher in the king? And the men of Judah reply, well, he's from our tribe, duh. Of course we're the ones who should bring the king in. You think you should do that? Yes, we do, say the northern tribes of Israel. We have ten shares. There are ten of our tribes to your two. We win. We win. We have a greater share. Oh, how human pride and human jealousy can so easily become a wet blanket on what should be a joyful, joyful occasion. The king is on the move. God is redeeming his people. And we're fighting over who's going to bring him in. So to be ready for the king, to not make this mistake, ask yourself this question. Is the king's glory, the king's glory, the king's honor, the king's reputation worth more to you than recognition? We like recognition, don't we? Get that title right on my name, right? Call me by the right thing. I want to have my name somewhere. I need a thank you note from someone. We love recognition. We worship at the altar of fairness. We worship at the altar of prosperity. And oh, how we worship at the altar of recognition. We expect to get our due, right? After all these years, after everything I've done, where's my thank you note? No, no. If you're ready for the return of God's King, for King Jesus, you know that His glory, His honor, His kingdom takes precedence over all. Period. We are here for Him. 
Amen? That wasn't loud enough. Amen? We are here for him. This is his church. This is his word. Listen. Humble yourself under his mighty hand and he will lift you up. His glory must be preeminent. And we are not ready for King Jesus to return until we say, it's about him, it's not about me. I don't need a thank you note. I did it all for him. And at my very best, all I did was my duty. That's all I did. But oh, how pride can so easily creep in. We, I could preach a sermon and say, you know, no one said anything nice to me. Not, not one thing. How dare they? And then I have to remember, I'm not preaching for applause. <laughs> I'm not preaching for you. I'm preaching for my Lord. And I'm under orders, His orders, to deliver His Word to His people. And it's about Him and it's about His glory. It's not about me and it's not about you. Have it all. Have the nameplates. Have the recognition. Have the titles. Have the positions. Have the wealth and the prosperity. Have it all. I have more than all in my Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say that today? May our posture be the same as the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Philippians in chapter 3. Verse 4, he says, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. You want to talk about what tribe you're from? Oh, I, I'm with you all day. You want to talk about your righteous deeds? I've got you matched. You want to talk about all the great things you've done for God? Bring it on. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Faultless. Test me. I've got the credentials. I've got every reason to boast in the flesh. Don't miss this. Verse 7. But whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? It's not just loss. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Literally, refuge. Refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through Christ, through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He doesn't just say, I don't put confidence in that, I don't boast in that. All my accomplishments, all my titles, everything that the world says, oh yeah, you're a good citizen, you're a good follower of God. No, it's garbage. It's nothing in comparison with the surpassing worth, the all-surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
I want to gain Christ. I want more than all. You can have all. You can have all this world affords. You can have it. I want more than all, says Paul. I want Christ Jesus. I want to take hold of the eternal life for which He took hold of me. He found me. I didn't find Him. He has made known to me the all-sufficiency of who He is and what He's done. What more can I ask for? Remember this. Those who are willing to lose all for the all-surpassing worth of Christ Jesus will gain more than all. Will gain more than all. And that is my prayer for you today, that you would gain more than all. And that come what may, no matter how unfair my life may feel, no matter whether you're prosperous or not, whether you're happy, comfortable or not, no matter whether you get recognition for what you've done or not, that you would see Christ as enough. Others may think you a fool. Others may say, how could you walk away from this prosperity? How could you walk away from that comfort? Why would you go across the world to make sure that people across the world hear the name of Jesus? Why would you do that? Why would you sacrifice the American dream to do that? Because Christ is worth it. He's worth everything. He's worth more than all. Is that faith in you? Is that confidence in you? Not in yourself, but in Him. I pray that it would be. May we lay all on the altar for Him today and into eternity. May we be ready for the return of the King because He is coming back at any moment. That's certain. What isn't certain is whether or not we're ready. May we be ready as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. For the whole counsel of your word. We confess that so often we only read certain parts. We think that only certain parts apply to us. But I thank you for showing us in what for many of us seems like an obscure passage from events that happened thousands of years ago. What it means to see the all-sufficiency of your king. And Lord, if the likes of Mephibosheth and Barzillai could see the sufficiency of David, Lord, how much more should we see the all-sufficiency of Christ Jesus, our Lord, crucified and risen and returning? Holy Spirit, convict us today. Cut us to the heart. Lead us to repent. Lead us to turn to Christ. Lead us to find salvation and mercy and grace and forgiveness in Him. Show us how desperate we are apart from Him. And Lord, whether You give us long life or short life, whether our days are filled with loss or prosperity, I pray that our lives 
would be full of Christ and full of devotion to him, come what may. All by your grace, all for your glory, all by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.